You know, when I was a kid, I didn't like the journey, but I loved the destination. You know, back in my day when we would go on road trips, look, we didn't have DVD players. We didn't have Netflix. We didn't have YouTube. Uh, we didn't even have the option of Spotify or Apple Music. You only had the radio. Uh, we didn't have devices or tablets. We didn't have any of that. In fact, we didn't even have space. In fact, my mom and my dad, my older brother, and my younger sister and myself, we would all pile into a car like this. This is a 1985 Plymouth Caravel. And every time I've looked at this picture this past week, I realized that my childhood was a very long time ago. And I guess I realized I actually grew up in the 1900s. But we we would all pile into a car like this on these road trips. And I remember when we were on these road trips, whether they were just for a few minutes, it seemed like the road trip was for hours. And if we were going to travel a couple of hours, it seemed like the road trip was going to take weeks or even months. And then at some point, as the road trip went on, whether it was a short one or a long one, expectedly, and then frequently, and then even repeatedly, we began to ask our parents the question. You guys know what question I'm about to ask? We would ask them the question, are we there yet? And church, I wanted to ask you that same question today. On this journey of life, this journey that we're all on, do you feel like you've arrived? Are you there yet? You know, maybe kids in the room, Maybe right now it seems like on this journey that you're on, it seems like everything is taking forever. And maybe you're asking the question like, when will anything I ever really want actually happen? Maybe teenagers in a room, maybe you're the journey of life that you're on right now. Like as you're asking the question, am I there yet? You're probably thinking, look, I need to speed this thing up. I can't wait to get my driver's license. I can't wait to get out of this house, start my career, maybe become an influencer. And maybe you're looking at speeding this life up. But adults in the room, what about you? When you look at where your life is right now, are you there yet? You may even be asking the question, look, look, the life that I, I believe that I want for myself, the life that I even believe God wants for me, why does it seem like I have not yet arrived? Why does it even seem like right now it seems like I'm in a detour, why does it seem like this detour is even lasting for so long? Today, I want to share with you that even though you're not there yet, that there is good news. Because even though you're not there yet at your current destination, there is some destiny. Today, we're going to be in Exodus chapter 19. And as we continue to make our way through the Old Testament story that actually happened 3,500 years ago, we're going to continue to see that God's word is living and active, that God's word proves true, like it says in Psalm chapter 18. We're going to see that even though those were in 3,500 years ago, it is on time for us today. We're going to see what God wants to do, what he wanted to fulfill in light of what Christ has done and what the Holy Spirit wants to do in our lives right now, today. This is a story that is for God's glory. In fact, life, all of our lives, need to be lived in the context of this greater story that God has been writing. Because from the beginning of time, 
God wanted you to see that life to the full, even in the hardships and trials and difficult moments, he has purpose. There is identity found in him. There is fulfillment found in him. There is fulfillment found in the context of this big story that God has been writing that is for his glory. You know, most of the Psalms were actually written by King David. And typically, he's the one who gets credit for the authorship of the Psalms. But we know that some of them were written by a guy named Asaph and some others. But there is actually one Psalm that was written by Moses. And this Psalm was actually written by Moses while he was on this wilderness journey that we've been going through. And so we're going to take this for a moment, take a look at Psalm chapter 90, because during this wilderness journey, man, Moses wrote this Psalm down. I think it really shed some light on this journey that God has the Israelites on and also has Moses on. And again, even something that he wants us to see today. In Psalm chapter 90, listen to the words that Moses wrote. He says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth or ever, you had formed the earth and the world. From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. The years of our life are 70 or even by reason of strength, 80. Pause right there for a moment. Look, I know we don't like to talk about life ending, but just think about what Moses says right here. He says, look, typical life, 70 or 80 years old-ish, plus or minus a few years. Again, some of you sitting in a room today, you're not even a quarter of the way there yet. But right now, again, on this journey of life right here, if we know, look, life is going to come to an end right now, like what is going on in your life right now? Like, are you on the right path? Are you heading toward the right destination? Some of you are maybe right in the middle of that. Like, have you taken time to evaluate the journey of life that you've been on and maybe where the rest of it is going? Some of you are on the um, tail end of that getting close to the edge, maybe even over the edge. And even in this season right now, where you're looking at the destination that you believe that God has for you, that he's been calling you to, have you been heading in the right direction? Like sometimes it's good to pause and see where we are so we can determine where we need to go. Moses said, look, life, uh, 70 or 80 years of reason by strength. And he says, yet their span, he says, Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. He says, who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? And here in these verses, he says, look, there's a, there's a couple of different ways that you can look at life. He says, wherever you're at on this journey of life, he says, you can look at life as saying, look, it is full of toil and trouble And even in the way that God's responding to me, you can look at it saying, look, God has responded to me with anger and wrath, and I I have this fear of him. And the truth of the matter is, like, if you're on this journey of life without the Lord leading the way, like, you can see that it is full of this toil and trouble, and God is even pouring out his wrath on you. Remember, he said, look, Lord, you have been our dwelling place, which also means that God is a safe place. And when he's leading the way, it's a safe place that you can rest your whole life in. 
And he says this in verse 12, and this is so important. He says, teach us, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. So the Lord says, look, we need to number our days. In other words, we need to make these days of life that we're given count. We need to make every single day count. And we do that as we seek and follow the Lord. And he's saying, God, help us every day. If these lives are going to matter, it needs to exist within the bookends of who God is, from everlasting to everlasting, that he is our dwelling place. So these years that we're given, if they are really going to count, if they're really going to matter, the only way to really live this life, to make it to our destination that God wants us to go on is to see our lives in the light of this greater story that God has been writing. So again, church, I ask you today, have you arrived? Are you there yet? How are you viewing today? Because even right now, at your current destination, where you are right now today, there's destiny, there's purpose. Exodus chapter 19, verse 1. Moses says, on the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They set out from Rephidim, and came into the wilderness of Sinai. They encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain. Now today, this Sunday, we're going to look at some lessons from Moses on the mountain. But would you help me announce my first point to the person sitting next to you? Would you tell the person sitting next to you, would you say, look, you're going to make it, but you're not there yet. Look, church, you're going to make it, but you might not be there yet. Look, I I know I just read it, but look back again at verses 1 and 2. Look, Moses says, look, on the third new moon, which means that this is a three-month marker from the time they had left Exodus. Three months into their wilderness journey, they arrive at this place. So on the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day... They came into the wilderness of Sinai. They set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai. And they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain. Now, doesn't that just sound repetitive? Like Moses is kind of saying the same thing over and over and over again in just two verses of scripture. Now, I know I've highlighted this before, but when you're studying your Bibles, when you're reading God's word, If you see a concept, a command, a scenario, something like this that's repeated and layered like this, whether it's across the whole scripture or whether it's just in a few verses, it's kind of like God is saying, okay, look, pay attention to this. Don't miss this. This is important. A lot of times people may miss it, but don't miss what I'm trying to say right here in this moment. And see, right here, they had arrived, but they hadn't arrived yet. See, look, their destination was the promised land. It was a land across the Jordan into the land of Canaan. That's where God was going to be leading the people. But yet right here in this moment, we see that they actually arrived at another promised destination that God said he was going to bring them to. 
because he had promised that they would arrive right here in Mount Sinai. Exodus chapter 3, verse 12. Look, this is when God is talking to Moses, and it says, look, he said, God said, I will be with you, Moses, and this shall be a sign for you. As God is talking to Moses on Mount Sinai, back before he delivers the people out of Egypt, God says, look, this will be a sign for you that I've sent you, that when you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain, which means that they were going to arrive right here at this point. See, God promised that they would come here, but they were also not yet to the promised land. But three months into their journey, three months into their journey, another promise is fulfilled by God. Think about that for a moment. Despite all the complaining that they did, despite all the grumbling that they did, despite them even bringing a charge against God, saying that he brought them out here to kill them, accusing God that he was going to do them harm, despite all the things they were even saying about God, despite them even disobeying him at times, God still fulfilled another promise. And even though they weren't to their promised spot yet, God brought them to another place to mark this moment to say that he is the one who's going to fulfill the things that he has said. Write this down, church. Look, we need to be mindful of the milestones that God has brought you through. We need to be mindful of these milestones that God has brought us to, that he's even brought us through. You know, last week, Moses told Jethro about all the hardships that they had been through. And again, when you're talking, when you're looking at your story, man, God doesn't want you to hide the harmful parts that you've been through. Like he wants you to see that even in those moments, look, he was bringing you through something. And I love how the Bible so many times in all these different stories, it doesn't hide the difficult moments, but instead it shows God's faithfulness in every single moment. The week before, look, God told Moses to record the victory that he had over the Amalekites. And Moses even built an altar marking the moment that they were delivered. And every moment leading to their destination, God was either working on them or he was working around them. You know, really, there's two different ways that you can view moments that happen in your life, especially when you're keenly aware of the season that you're in right now. You can look at the season that you're in right now. You can view that moment as, look, this is a moment where things are just being wasted. The moment is wasted. Or you can look at it and say, look, even in this moment, God is working. And look, if you are in Christ, you're going to make it. Look, God does not waste a moment in the season that you're in right now. He's going to use it. And you may say, Andrew, you know what? You don't know. You don't know what it's like for me. You don't know how challenging this season is. You don't know what it is I'm going through, the pain I feel right now. I have cried. I've even begged God to take me out of this season. And you're right, I don't know. But what I do know is that God cares for you. And I know that even right now, the moment is not wasted because God is working. In Psalm chapter 56, look, David says, look, you have kept count of my tossings, Lord. You have put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? Then my enemies will turn back in the day when I call. 
He says, this I know, that God is for me. In God, whose word I praise, in the Lord, whose word I praise, in God I trust. I shall not be afraid. What can anyone, what can man do to me? And in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, where Joseph had been abandoned by his family, sold into slavery, even though he had this great destination that God had given him. He had this great vision from the Lord, but he had been abandoned by his family, sold into slavery, and then even in that moment, he was thrown into prison. And it wasn't after he had been on this destination that seemed like it was full of detours that he turned around and he said, look, what other people meant for evil against me, God meant it for good. To bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. And many of you know Romans chapter 8, verse 28. You might even have it on a t-shirt or a coffee mug. It says that we know that for those who love God, all things, all things, every single moment work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. Paul says, look, I am sure of this. I am confident of this that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Look, church, you're going to make it. You may not be there yet, but don't quit. Don't give up on God. He's not going to give up on you. He is with you. He will not waste the moment because even right now, he is working. You're going to make it. You just have not arrived quite yet. Second lesson we see here from the mountain, from Moses on the mountain, is that, yes, if, if we're on this journey with the Lord, and even though we may not be at our final destination yet, the next thing that we need to do is that we need to humble ourselves before God so we can actually become who we are. Church, we need to humble ourselves before the Lord so we can actually become who we are. So God brings them to this place that he promised that he would bring them to. And the nation of Israel encamps around this mountain. And listen to how the story continues in verse 3. It says, while Moses went up to God, the Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. Look, when we're talking about becoming who we are, when we're talking about becoming who we really are, it begins with humbling ourselves before God. That's what God does at the beginning of this section. In fact, here's a couple of things what God actually does as he's preparing the people to humble themselves before him. So what God does, first thing, he makes salvation clear. He makes it crystal clear. You know, back in verse four, he says, look, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Look, God says to Moses, tell the people, remember how I brought you out on eagle's wings 
and brought you to myself. Again, church, time and time and time again throughout the entire book of Exodus, here's another, another thing that God keeps repeating and he keeps layering, saying over and over and over again. And he uses this language and he reminds the people again that he is their deliverer. He is the one that saved them out of bondage and slavery. That he is the one who brought them out. He is the one who saves them. Again, it's this picture it is this demonstration of God's sovereign grace and his deliverance for his people. And again, as we've been going through this series, we've been trying to make this connection with the, with the Old Testament history and with our New Testament reality. Again, here is this picture that Jesus himself would come to pay the price for our sins. There was no other way. We were in the bondage of sin, but Jesus came. He died on the cross and he bodily rose from the dead, making a way that we could be forgiven, that we could have hope, that we could even have an eternity. It was only through Christ. He is the one who has made salvation crystal clear. But see, God also makes himself known. Not only does he show that he's the one that saves them and delivers them, but he makes himself known. Listen to what it says here in verse 16. It says, on the morning of the third day, there are thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp, they trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln. And the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke and God answered him in thunder. The Lord came down on the mountain to the top of the mountain. Man, God puts on this incredible display of how awesome and how holy he is. He puts on this display of his presence and his power in front of the people. He makes himself known on the mountain that his presence is with them, but yet they are supposed to have this holy fear, this respect of him. And it's a reminder for us that we need to have this reverent fear, this holy fear of God. Even though his presence is close to us, we still have this reverent respect and worship of him. But not only does God make himself known here, he also reminds us and he makes this story all about him. Again, church, this whole story is for his glory. Our life story will only make sense if, it, if it's in the bookends of everlasting to everlasting. Here, God says, look, all the earth is mine. Everything on the earth, I own it anyway. So you need to see him for who he is. And this great, incredible display of his power and his godness is on display. He reminds us that this story is all about him. So that's what God did. But what were the people to do? What should even we do? Well, again, he makes it so simple. He says, look, obey God and keep his commands. Obey him and keep his commands. Look in verse five, he says, now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples. For all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. 
These are the words that you are to speak to the people of Israel. So Moses came in verse 7. So Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. And all the people answered together and said, look, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, look, behold, I'm coming to you in a thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak to you and that they may believe you forever. And then when Moses told the words of the people to the Lord, the Lord said to Moses, look, go to the people, consecrate them today and tomorrow. Let them wash their garments and be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. And you shall set limits for the people all around, saying, take care to not go up into the mountain or even touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. No hand shall touch him, but he shall be stoned or shot. Whether beast or man, he shall not live. Look, the people were supposed to consecrate themselves, obey God, and follow his commands. Humbling themselves before God means that we are actually even supposed to do the same. Look, you probably won't step out of church today and see God descending on a cloud on the high-rise bridge, okay, and telling you what to do. That probably won't happen today. But God has given us his word. And this example right here to the Israelites is a reminder that God has given us his word and we are to take serious the commands of the Lord. We are to take serious the things that he's told us to do, that he's commanded us to do, that he wants us to obey. And you may even say, look, it seems so harsh that they even came near the edge of the mountain that they were going to be stoned or even shot that they were going to be killed. But again, church, it's just a reminder that we need to take seriously the things that God has called us and commanded us to do. And that wasn't just for them 3,500 years ago. That's for us today in 2023. You know, there's this story where um, back during medieval times, the times where knights were still around, um, that as Christianity was kind of growing in influence and even popularity, that these knights... Uh, they were getting baptized in droves, uh, saying that they were trusting Jesus, following him. And they were getting baptized in droves. And what they would do is that when they were getting baptized, uh, don't worry, this is not a real sword, okay? This is a toy from my house. But what they would do, when they would get baptized, they would go under the water, but they would hold their sword above the water. And it's like they were saying, well, God, you can have all of me. I'll trust you with everything. But not this sword. God, I still want to be able to do whatever I want with this sword, to kill whoever I want, to exact justice in the way that I've been given the power to by the government. Like, I, I want to be able to still do whatever I want with this sword. So, God, you can have all of me, but not this, because I still want control of this. Church, God has called us to submit everything to him. So is there something right now that you still have in your life where you say, God, you can have all of me, but not this? Maybe you say, you know what, God, I'm going to trust you with everything. I'm going to follow you in everything. But God, when it comes to that relationship, God, you can have everything, but not that relationship. God, I still want control of that. I still want to do whatever I want when it comes to that. 
Maybe you say, God, everything is yours, okay? I'm going to trust you with everything, follow you in everything, trust your commands. Wherever you go, I'll go. However you're calling me to do, I'm going to lead and follow. And God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to submit everything to you, God, except for what I'm scrolling on my phone and the video games that I'm playing. God, accept that. God, I want to be able to scroll wherever I want, play as many hours as I want. God, I, I want to just do those things, okay? Like, for, you can have everything else, but not that, Maybe you say, God, everything in my life I'm going to trust you with, follow you with, take your commands. God, except when it comes to actually loving my wife the way that Christ has said to love the church. God, she is difficult sometimes. You can have everything, but I still want to be able to do all my hobbies by myself. God, I can ignore her in some things. You can have everything, but God, I don't know if I need to follow you in that. Or maybe it's even, God, you said that you need to submit to your husband out of reverence for Christ. Again, God, you can have everything, but when it comes to submitting to my husband out of reverence for Christ, like, I don't know if you even really meant that. God, you know how challenging that is? Or maybe say, God, you know what? You can have every single thing except when it comes to my wallet. Look, Lord, I know you say that we are to be good stewards. All the earth is yours, right? You own it all anyway. And I need to even submit my finances and my future to you. But God, do you know there's a recession coming? God, I need control of that. You can have everything else, everything else I'll follow you in except that one thing. Church, what is that one thing? What is that one thing that you need to even submit to the Lord to say, God, in everything I'm going to obey you. God, in everything I'm going to follow your commandments in. God, in every single thing I'm going to trust your covenant and what you've called us to do. Church, what is that one thing that you still will not trust and give to the Lord? I know, look, God is going to give us grace upon grace like he always does and mercy upon mercy, but he wants us to know that he wants us to take seriously following the things that he said. He doesn't just want 90% of you. He wants all of you. He wants you to submit every single aspect of your life to him. God shows us who he is. He even shows us what we must do. But another good thing that he shows the people of Israel right here, and this is so good, he shows them who they're going to become. He shows them who they are. Listen to how it continues here in verse 5. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant. So it's conditional. But God says, if you do this, you surrender to him, you obey him, He says, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, he says, you shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples. For all the earth is mine. He says, you shall be a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. These are the words that you need to speak to them. You know, it's so interesting to note that when God says all the earth is mine, it's it's a reference to look no other God. No other God or person can take claim to identifying these people. No other God can take claim to the things that he's even given them. He's saying, look, everything that you are, everything that I'm giving you, it belongs to the Lord. So it dismisses any claim that any other God could have over them or what it is that God has given them. And he's saying, look, if you do these things, he's saying that you will become a treasured possession. Church, this is a reminder that God loves you. He values you. He treasures you. 
Again, I don't care what anyone else has said about you. The God of the universe, the one who is king of kings and lord of lords, the one whose name is above every other name. He looks at you. He looks at me. He looks at you despite our sin and our shortcomings, despite our failures. He looks at us and he says that you will be my treasured possession. He loves you. He values you. But not only that, he says, look, you're going to be a holy nation. Man, he's saying that in this, look, he's going to set you apart. That your identity in him is now found when you are seeking to be conformed to the image of Christ. To be holy as he is holy. Look, it is a call for the believer to trust that God is going to work his sanctifying process. Look, notice he didn't say, look, the Egyptians are going to be a holy nation. He's looking at his people, that people are trusting him and following him. And he's saying, you're going to be a holy nation. You know, so many times we want the rest of the world to be holy and to follow God's commands and to trust him. But again, it begins with us. Are you letting God work his sanctifying process in you today? Not just back when the journey first began, but right now, today. Are you continuing down the path of seeking holiness, letting God wash that sin out of you? And even though we try to hold on to it, letting him pull it away again so you can be conformed to the image of Christ. Then he also says, look, you're going to be a kingdom of priests. And this is a call for us to be Christ's ambassadors and his ministers. It's the reminder that we, the children of Israel, are going to be his witnesses to the other nations. That's the same thing for us today that we are called to be his ambassadors. You know, fast forward 1,500 years, and the apostle Peter, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, would take this same passage and he would apply it to the church. And again, church, this is something that God has been repeating back from Exodus all the way to the first century when the church started, and even today. And again, he's like, he's saying, look, when these things are continued, when he repeats these concepts, layers these concepts, he's saying, look, don't miss this. It's so important. Listen to what Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 1. And I know it's going to be a lot, but see the connection. Do you see the connection that God made from Exodus all the way to 1 Peter to right here today? Peter says, look, so put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Has anyone tasted and seen that the Lord is good? He says, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, Chosen and precious. You yourselves, like a living stone, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. They stumble because they disobeyed the word of God as they were destined to do. But you, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellence of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. 
Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. This is who we are in Christ. The whole earth is the Lord. No one can label you or define you for real outside of Christ, not even ourselves. Look, our identity, your identity in Christ is a treasured possession. Again, not someone who's triggered, but someone who's treasured. Your identity in Christ is someone who is holy, who is set apart, that he's calling to be like him, not like the rest of the world, but to be like Christ. Your identity in Christ is a kingdom of priests. You're someone who was designed, who was made to help minister to others and share the good news about what he's done. As our worship team makes their way back up to the stage, church, you're going to make it but you're not there yet. But on every single step of the journey, God wants us to humble ourselves before him. And when we do that, we actually become who we were made to be. I thought I would conclude today as as we're all on different stages of this journey of life that the Lord has us on, as we're all on these different stages, I thought I would conclude with four questions to ask you, checkpoints on the journey of holiness. Now, maybe you don't have these in your notes and you can either take a picture of the slide when they're all up there or you can go ahead and write them down. But I want you to, I want to challenge you to stop for a moment wherever you are on this journey of life and evaluate where you are. Because you're not there yet, but you're going to make it. But even right now where God has you, man, he wants you to see more of the purpose he has for you, what he's calling you to, and for you to be more like him. So the first question we all need to ask, and I want you to ask yourself today, is am I being a hypocrite? Look, Peter says, look, if you are in Christ, we need to put away hypocrisy and malice and slander. We need to put all these things away. So we need to ask ourselves a question. Look, are we being a hypocrite? And that even comes to to your relationship with Christ. Look, are you really a Christian? Are you really a follower of Jesus? Have you really trusted him as Lord? Have you really surrendered your life to him, repented of your sin, believed the gospel, and began to receive this life to the full that God wants for you? And if that is true, if you have trusted Christ, look, all of us do it at some point. All of us are hypocrites in some way. In fact, I've heard it said before, look, people sometimes don't want to come to church because the church is full of hypocrites. That's okay. We can take one more, okay? But never forget, look, we're not perfect. We're authentic. We're in process. So, But right now, right now, are you living like a hypocrite? Are you saying you know Jesus, but everything in your life says something different? Is there something you know God wants you to lay down, but you're still saying, God, accept this thing? Are you being a hypocrite right now? Second question is, look, am I growing in the wisdom and the knowledge of Christ? 
Are you growing in him right now? My Peter said, look, desire that pure spiritual milk. Are you growing in relationship with Jesus? Again, maybe even in that, you're not where you want to be. But man, praise God, you're not where you're used to be. But are you still making progress on this journey and knowing this God who loves you so desperately? Third question, am I still receiving mercy and showing mercy? Look, you've been given so much mercy. God has been rich in mercy. He's poured it out on you. And even today, again, look, if there's a sin you've been struggling with, even today, look, his forgiveness is available. His mercy was made brand new this morning. He still wants to forgive you and help you continue to make steps closer into a relationship with him, trusting him moving forward. But are you receiving that mercy, constantly repenting to the Lord, trusting him again? But then are you also showing that same mercy to somebody else? Are you giving that same forgiveness that you've been given? And the last question that I think we all need to ask ourselves no matter where we are on the journey is, am I seeing myself how Christ sees me? Think about what he said to the people, Israel. Think about what God said to them. They had been in slavery for 400 years. Like their very identity was rested in worshiping other gods, everything that was about Egypt, slaves, and in bondage. But then the Lord set them free. And he's saying, look, that's, that's who you were, but that's not who you are anymore. Right now you are a treasured possession. Right now you're going to be a holy nation, a kingdom of priests. Church, let me just remind you again. Look, you are not what was done to you, but you are what the Savior did for you. Look, you are not defined by your sin, but now you are defined by Christ. Look, you are not a mess, even though it may feel like life is messy right now, but Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says that you are a masterpiece, literally a piece of poetry that God is writing. Right now, you have a new identity that is in Christ. You are his ambassador. You are not a victim, even though so many people try to label you that way. You are more than a conqueror in Christ. That is who you are. Are you seeing yourself the way that Christ now sees you? Church, you may not be there yet, but you're going to make it. But right now, would you humble yourselves before God so you can become who you really are? Father God, I thank you, Lord, for your word. And I thank you again, Lord, that even though this was written 3,500 years ago, Lord, it is on time for us today. God, may we become the people that you want us to become. God, no other person in this world, God, the world itself doesn't get to label who we are anymore. We are in Christ. Lord, it's you. You are our God. You are the one who is above it all. God, you're the one who owns everything. All the earth is yours. And to think, God, you choose to be in relationship with us or to call us a treasured possession or to think that your thoughts of us outnumber the grains of sand. God, why would you do that? But God, may it become our identity, a treasured possession by the Lord, a kingdom of priests that ministers to people and loves people a holy nation as being conformed to the image of Christ. God, we love you. 
And God, help us to trust you with everything. Not just 90%, not even 99%, but Lord, everything. God, we want it to be yours. In Jesus' name.